Howard Lindzen is the founder and general partner at Social Leverage. All opinions expressed by Howard and podcast guests are solely their own opinions and do not reflect the opinion of Social Leverage or StockTwits. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for decisions. Guests may maintain positions and securities discussed in this podcast. K-Nutter. Hello, good morning, Howard. Good morning, Viet COVID. Still don't have a phrase. I have no catchphrase for death and destruction. It's probably Sadness. a good idea not to have one. So sad. Yeah. I'm starting to get one degree separation. I'm, I'm one and a half degree separated at this point. Um, Phoenix has been deathly quiet. I'm not hearing any. I've heard they're laying off nurses is what I heard today. Really? Well, I mean, because no one else is coming into the hospital. So if there's no COVID, no one's busy. Right. So that's what I hear. I'm, I'm so out of context with news right now. I don't know what to believe, what to... So we're just, I'm just looking at prices here. It's Monday, market's down a little bit, but man, what a great run. Now, now the question is, what will the market do once we start getting better news? The news can't get worse. Obviously we'll have flare-ups. You know, New York hospital hospital load is down. Mm -hmm. All good signs there. Spain numbers down, Italy numbers down. Now we'll see, not down, down, but like growth is down. Right. And now we're going to start hearing the recovery stories. You know, whether the media wanted to cover it or not, that's going to be the story. And which should have been the story two weeks ago and three weeks ago while the panic was going on. is like people are living. Like the point is, you know, mm-hmm. throwing up the death numbers. Anyways, who cares? I mean, we care, but not, you don't care if you're tuning into panic with friends. We want to hear what's on the other side of the panic. I have my a best pal, Josh Brown, who has nothing to sell. Uh, we, have, we rarely get a chance to uh, converse he just interviewed me in miami but this will be more me interviewing him and letting him ramble maybe not so much about the markets um but hopefully what he sees about the future and running a a large ria with over a billion under management and kind of the first bear market for the firm um so i'm excited yeah he's a great guy and like me he has crohn's suffers from crohn's uh has flare-ups kind of like the market and uh you know, when I'm in trouble in New York, when I got sick, I call him first. Um, so he's he's a, he's a koi fin boy and a manscape boy. So I'm doing both, and then we're going to get Joshy on the phone. Sounds Every, good. Everything good with you and the fam? Yeah, everything's fine. Thank you. Nothing to chime in. Quick fact from Norway. I don't know. Um, let me see. The Nobel Peace Prize is awarded in Norway. That's the only one of the Nobel prizes that's not from Stockholm, Sweden. Yeah. All right. But uh, Arafat won a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Yeah, I've given up on that award. Yeah. Probably give one to the fucking Grand Orange himself. Uh, okay, Manscaped, 20% off free. I'm going right to the promo because people know that smooth balls is where it's at. <laughs> so Manscaped guarantees smooth balls and with the way they've built it and the, and the materials, it, you're just not going to nick them. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code social leverage at manscaped.com. It's 20% off free shipping manscaped.com. Use social leverage. You know, Canute, most people loading up on toilet paper. I'm loading up on manscaped products. Great gifts. Okay. And listen, my wife's smiling. She appreciates smooth. That's nice to hear. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for sharing. All right. Next, Coifant. I'm looking at the market today. Obviously, I use Coifin every day. We're investors. They are a portfolio company of ours. If you want to track and analyze what's happening in the current market, 
Coifin is for you. Web-based platforms lets you analyze stocks, ETFs, mutual funds, and other assets all in one place. Share lists, which I do. Share my portfolio. Share today. I shared a couple other lists. Use it every day to track what's going on in the market. Has high-quality data, powerful functionality, a clean interface, and still free. You can sign up at coifin.com. That's K-O-Y-F-I-N.com. Let's get Joshy on the phone. Hello? JB! What's up, Howie? Are we live? Um, we are live on Memorex. This is like, we can edit it if we if we hate something, but it's not going live, like live live, we're just taping live. Understood. So, um, got so much to talk to you about. Um, not so much about the markets, just about life and running a business through this storm and uh, life in Long Island during this. How bad is it in Long Island? You're one degree is separated from a lot of people, I think. Yeah, well, I mean, we're a hotspot. I think hotspot. we have, uh, yeah, I think we have twenty or thirty thousand cases between Nassau and Suffolk County. Uh-huh. So that's all the way from the the Montauk Lighthouse up to the border of Queens, and uh, you know, a lot of people on Long Island commute into uh, Manhattan and Brooklyn for work. So we were we're loaded with cases. It's uh, it's scary. This is a different type of panic for you because you got two kids. Uh, they're stuck in the house, freaking out about school, freaking out about food, going to the store, um, not being able to, your firm's growing really fast. So it's a different type of panic than a financial panic. I mean, my kids have it worse than me because when, you know, when you're, my daughter's 14, when you're 14, your entire, like your focus of every day is your social life. Yeah. And she's like, you know, she's been able to go on a couple of walks and wave hi to people, and it's just absolutely torture. And so we're cutting her a lot of slack. And then my son is on video games all day with his friends, and he's getting by. You know, I guess it's their version of Zoom. It's they're their playing version. For, they're playing. Yeah. yeah, they're playing Fortnite, um, mm-hmm. which is a game that they. It came like, back. It was dying, but it came back. Yeah, they like in the fall. They were like, no, that's that's whack. Everybody plays Madden now. Uh-huh. But now they're all back on Fortnite and they're talking to each other and I'm, I'm letting them play eight, <laughs> eight hours a day. I don't give a shit. What does, up, he, you know? does he have a medical marijuana card yet? Uh, no, I think you have to be nine where we live. So, <laughs> so you have to be nine. What? You know, he's, you know he's Canute's ten. on the phone, right? You've my, met Canute before. Of course. Yeah. My son is in uh, fifth grade. And so it was a good story. You took him out this weekend. I, Max is golfing, right? Not with me because he hasn't been fully quarantined, but he's golfing every day. I said, Max, get outside. It's 80 degrees. And he's been great. His hands are torn apart because he hadn't been playing golf in months because of school and work. And uh, so he's t- he's at least done that with some of his buddies. I don't, you know, they're trying. He's wearing the gloves and social spacing and yada yada Huge. yada. Um, so you had to drag, even though your son loves sports, you just had to drag him out, and that was a good thing. Yeah, because you know it's so like he's so he's. I was not an athlete growing up. I don't know if that's going to come as a surprise to people. Mm-hmm. I played. I played it's, everything. It's, I it's just so not a surprise. <laughs> <laughs> I played. I played everything. I just wasn't good at anything, uh-huh. really. Uh-huh. He he is the starting pitcher for a, a select travel team, uh-huh. and he, you know, they do winter workouts for the spring season that start in November. So mm. for these kids to lose their season, it's like it's just so devastating that 
he didn't even want to pick up a baseball. Got it. He so loves like, it, but it was just off his radar. He just said, "Fuck it's it." Just, it just makes it's just so upsetting. Got so it. I'm like, let's let's go let's go have a catch. No, no, no. Finally, I said, let that. I, I literally threw him in the car, and we got to play baseball this weekend. We had our own field, nobody there. It was beautiful out. It was like the best day of the year for me. Yeah, so you're making the best of a, a shitty situation. And so, um, yeah, what are we all, you know, look, none of us can complain because we are not in an emergency room in the Bronx, um, watching a thousand people a week pass away. Like none of us can, can complain about anything. Um, I mean, we can, but like not publicly. No, you've been good about not complaining. And so the firm talk, talk, let's give people a little background, Josh Brown, reform broker and the firm. Take your time. Well, so Ironically, this is the this is like what what's happening right now is a proof of my firm's um, business model, which I'm not, and I, I say that with no pleasure at all, because this because what the circumstances are. However, two things: the first is we were born remotely; we were born in the cloud. So my most there are thirteen thousand registered investment advisory firms in America, and most of them look like something like this. It's a couple of guys or girls from Merrill or Morgan that break away and start their own firm. They pick a mountain or a lake that's nearby to name it after. And well, now they, they can name it after a virus. Yeah. Okay. So they, so they, um, COVID partners. I, I laughed inwardly. Okay. So they, so they, uh, hang a shingle and their first clients are like business people in the area that they already know. Correct. And then if they're successful, they gradually expand outward like ripples in a pond. And then they go from being in their town to their county, to the region, to the state, to, you know, that's how most billion dollar plus firms have grown, which makes perfect sense. We were the opposite. We had a national brand before we had a company, Barry and I. So what that means is that when we founded the firm in 2013, we were by definition a remote firm and half of our employees going into this were people that we saw once a year. Mm-hmm. So we have always gotten by with a lot of technology and video meetings and Slack is like our oxygen. And so for us, there's no business disruption really at all. I mean, we love to see each other in the New York headquarters, but half the employees were never there. Mm. So so we're 31 people, 900 clients. Um, we're We're – I, we're not like the biggest firm in the country, but we're we're pretty big. We're about uh, 1.3 billion or so in assets, depending on what Apple is doing today. And um, ironically, this is business as usual for most of uh, my employees. Now, the second part of that is um, because we focus so much of our attention on content and media. When um, the markets are acting the way they are. Everyone is paying attention to the media and blogs and podcasts. So it's almost like um, uh, Phil Perlman likes to say, the higher the VIX, the higher the clicks. Mm-hmm. And so in our case, we have never had this many inbound potential client inquiries. That's yeah, never happened. Else. We had we had 44 last week. We had 34 the week before, mm-hmm. 25 the week before that. So um, we have a ton to do. There's a lot of money in motion right now in the wealth management industry. Mm-hmm. People are reading what we have to say about what's happening, and they're saying, 
why the hell isn't my money being managed by these guys? So that so it's a blessing and it's a, not a blessing. It's like a it's like a slight silver lining. It's the way I would phrase it. Silver lining for the firm. Um, it's you position yourself. I think this is like I've been saying this, Josh. It's like the markets just became the global national pastime, right? With your, I mean, obviously your son's too young, but I would, I would, I would say that any kid over fifteen. Uh, a parent could give him five, 10 K during this COVID crisis and say, listen, blow your brains out. Let's learn. Uh, Roger was telling me his kids are into it. Um, because this is the language, like the markets didn't shut. Was there a point? I was literally tapping out saying, you know, I was in fine position, but like I was scared to either short or go long cause they would close the market in size at the bottom, even though I was getting thank long. God they did. Thank God they didn't. So thank God they didn't. Were you, I am, I'm not saying I'm embarrassed. There was just enough of my friends panicking around me. I said, okay, I agree. Let's, they should close it for a few days. But what do you think? No, I think it's the opposite. The worst, the worst thing you could do yeah. in this situation is give people additional anxiety by telling them there might be a period of time where they can't access their own money. It would literally have been disastrous. They've mm-hmm. only closed the market three times. The first was World War One, mm-hmm. because markets back then were prehistoric and they just didn't know what else to do. Yeah. And there's a huge plaque hanging in the New York Stock Exchange that recognizes the many, many, many traders who had to leave their trading post to go fight in the war and died. True. And there's a big bronze, um, there's a big bronze plaque with their names on it. Like that was the reality back then. Then there was a bank holiday, which is not worth getting into. And then the third time was 9-11. And the reason they closed markets 9-11 was because literally it was the financial district that was hit that you couldn't access the area. So it took them, I think, uh, I think it took them a week and, um, it was a heroic effort on the part of uh, Dick Rosso, who was the chairman at the time, and trading firms and Cantor Fitzgerald. So those were scenarios where like, they, they didn't have a choice. We had a choice, and what we decided to do was um, allow the machinery to, to do what the machinery does and allow human judgment to oversee that machinery. And I think it was one of the single – most critical decisions that were made ever, ever um, during this crisis. Yeah. 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 Now that picture this scenario, I was talking to Mike about this. Imagine, imagine a uh, Mnuchin or I don't even know who would have the authority to do this, but imagine mm-hmm. somebody got on TV one night on a Monday uh-huh. and said, we have determined that because of the, the, whatever the whole situation, the best thing to do is to close the stock and bond markets and they're going to close on Friday. <laughs> can you imagine the car well, he kind of did that in new york he goes we're gonna close the bridges and he said that like at a weird time of the day yeah that was fucking stupid but like if you if you just imagine telling people they Good have point. three days to get their to get their money out you would literally see the market at eleven thousand. so i i think that keeping it open was essential and um and i'm and i'm glad they did yeah as bullish as i am on do-it-yourself investing i didn't realize how many other people would get into it because of something like this. Meaning the markets are baseball. The markets are basketball. The markets are sports betting. The markets are, you know, you have, you have Dave Portnoy who was like doing pizza stuff and sports stuff. Now day trading his, uh, nest egg. I mean, you couldn't ask for something more. First of all, he's a, he's a, he's a, he's a genius at content. 
uh, I think it's it's just a, it's like a train wreck for people like us to watch that. But I get he's just onboarding another whole group of people into this wacky world of investing for better. Or for yeah, worse. I, I mean, it's you know, what he's doing is not investing. Right. Um, I think there's a there's a really important distinction between investing and trading. Well, if this doing, was football, he would have trading. 70 concussions in his first week. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like he's just, he's the equivalent of the fucking, if you walked onto a football, this would be like him going into a football field, except he'd have concussion. Now he's just losing money. Yeah. Look, I, I think anything that exposes um, younger people to the markets is good up until a point. And hopefully most people realize what he's doing is comedy uh-huh. and they're not, and they're not like saying, okay, I have $10,000 left to my name. I'm going to go on Robin hood and start trading Tesla weekly calls. Like I, I people I were doing that before what, him, dude. Wall street bets yeah, was him. literally serious traders, you know, disguised as Reddit people doing <clears throat> YOLO trades and everybody's mad. And I'm like, hang on. That's the way I look at it, Josh. I'm like, hang on. These people, the you know, you can blame Robin, you can blame Morgan, you can blame any broker for being down. But the lesson is for individual investors also to be redundant here. Man, have multiple accounts open. Like if we learn one thing from this is that one, the internet always wins. So the internet got stronger through all this. The markets always win, meaning the markets are here. We just threw everything they could at the markets just now. We did correlations at one for like two weeks, VIX 90 and death and destruction in New York, and they kept the markets open. And then third is people, take some response, learn from this. Don't have all your money at one brokerage or one bank account. So so I had a few formative trades in my life, and uh, the first one I can remember is- A panic or is it a panic? No, like just around 1999, I had like, like my parents like gave me access to my bar mitzvah money. They were like- Mm -hmm all right, I guess you're 19 or whatever, take it. And so like, I remember in the early, like in the dot-com boom, I was trading and I, I don't like remember like if I was doing well at any point, but I remember how I lost it all was like a, a YOLO. St- I mean, before there was a such thing as YOLO, like eToys came public and Goldman Sachs put like a strong buy on it. I think it was Anthony Noto too, which is really funny. Lovely guy. Um, Shout, shout to Noto. Shout out to Noto. But, but, they, but like, I just like, as a, as a, as a 20 year old or a 19 year old, I was just like, well, it's Goldman Sachs. Mm. So like, how could they, how could they be, they underwrote it. How could they be wrong by mm. saying it's a strong buy? I think this, I think the stock went public and then went bankrupt inside of 90 days. And mm. I wrote it the whole way down because I was like, yeah, but it's, it's Goldman Sachs. So that was like a very important loss for me it was extremely formative. It was like one of the first, one of the first, uh, signals to me that pedigree doesn't mean shit and brand names don't mean shit. And like, you will lose everything if you just blindly do what somebody on TV or on the internet says to do. And I, you know, I've made a million other mistakes since then, but I've never made that mistake where, I just like take the the word of a a well-known brand name firm on anything. And that was important. Like I had to lose that money to learn that lesson. And thank God it was not like, it was not a lot of money. It was a lot of money then. But, um, so I think to your point, Howard, if, if 2 million people in their twenties start trading Mm -hmm. because there's no, they just no NHL, there's Mm -hmm. no NBA and they're like, 
this is my recreation and they blow themselves up. It's not the worst thing. It's, no. it's like, it's how you learn what not to do. Yeah. No, you're not going to listen to anyone. No, you're not. You gotta learn. You learn by doing. So that was the magic of these tools. Learn Whether by losing. Learn by losing. That's what the name of this, this podcast should be entitled. Bingo. You don't oh, learn. Really you don't, you don't learn. You don't learn anything by your successes, other than thinking that you're you're smarter than you are. Sure. You really learn the best life lessons by things that go very wrong. Well, so, you've taken it a step further. I was like Robin Hood, Stocktwits, Coifin, learn by doing. But really, you are going to lose right away. And if you don't lose right away, it's, it was a bull market, not because the, they're smart. The best thing that can happen. The best thing that can happen to you is your first twenty trades. Um, you end, you end up losing. The worst thing that can happen is you do some wild risky shit that you read about on Reddit and it pays off because then in the back of your mind, you actually think that you know anything. Mm -hmm. We should set your son up with account and feed him false info and just see how fast we can get it to zero. <laughs> the uh, he's, you smart, he's smarter than me. he's smarter than me. No, but so, you know, uh, like you couldn't do what Dave Portnoy is doing. He's like losing every trade. It's hilarious. It's like it's the opposite. I, dude, he, he cracks me up. All right, so the what's a daily routine for you right now? Because you're very busy on media as well. Um. Well, the first breakfast I eat is usually <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> is a yogurt snickerdoodle. So your first, yeah. yeah, your meals are good, but like, what's a typical? Honestly, day? everything, everything I do is wrong. Oh, okay. Like I wake up, the first thing I do is grab my fucking phone, Ugh. start scrolling through news. Like it couldn't be my 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 routine couldn't be more toxic. Okay. Um, I get up, I eat a ton of fucking carbs, three <laughs> cups of coffee. Yep. I'm tweet I'm tweeting like while I eat with a bagel in my hand. Yes. Um, I I mean it's all I, it's so all far. Bad. I haven't heard anything that that makes me nervous. It's all bad, but in the, so I will say this on the, so right now it's a nor'easter and I'm watching my trees be blown down Ugh. on the, on the sunny days. I am absolutely riding 10 miles a day. I ride down to the beach. I, I, I never miss a day. So if it's not pouring rain, I get out on and I, and I exercise, but like my day is still as hectic as it always was. I'm doing TV three times a week. They sent us these, um, padcaster, units which are like a camera connected to a pad on a tripod with like oh um, my god cnbc the did that? in our ears yeah they did they're they're, they're fully operational it. yeah they're on it and so so like i'm still doing i'm still doing as much media as i was doing and and i'm in i'm in zoom meetings with my employees i'm on phone calls with um advisors and their clients so mm -hmm. like my, i don't I'm never sitting around like, what should I do now? My my calendar looks the same as it always does. What's the first time you panicked in the market or a trade? I haven't panicked this time. No, I mean, what's the uh, first? Do you remember the first ever? time you just barf something up and you're like, oh fuck? So in 2008, I was a co-branch manager of like a fifth tier shitty broker dealer, mm -hmm. and it was a, I it mean, was a it broker was in a, a coffee shop. It was like Moe's broker and coffee shop. It was a clown. It was a clown show. Mm -hmm. Like it was a spite brokerage. It was a spite brokerage. It was a spite brokerage. It was Latte Larry. It was Latte Larry and stocks. <laughs> so and, anyway, I just I just remember like everything I tried to do in client accounts mutual funds, ETF stocks, like just everything going against me every day. Oh. And I remember, I'll never forget this. I worked at 230 Park Avenue in the Helmsley building. 
Mm-hmm. And in the Helmsley, the Helmsley building is like this art facing deco north or south. Um, we had windows that faced. You could see Yankee Stadium on a clear day, all the north. way straight up to the Bronx. Okay. So, so um, it's this building that, like, it's, it's just it's a it's a landmark. It's yeah. a it's an Art Deco masterpiece, and they had these famous elevators with the heavens painted on the ceiling of the elevator. Mm-hmm. So it was like these, it was like a mural of blue skies with white clouds. And I just remember getting into that elevator, like going up and down for coffee or for lunch or whatever. Mm-hmm. And just like staring up at the sky, like why God now it wasn't a real sky. It was the painted sky mm-hmm. in the, in the elevator. The field. But I, that's like imprinted on my mind because it was every day. Ugh. It felt way worse than this Yeah, to just, like you would place a trade and you'd be and down before later, you'd be down 10 hour later. You look like the biggest asshole. And then yeah. the next day you would come in and do it again. Yeah. I just remember, and people just, this is nothing like it. This is way worse in many ways, but nothing like it. I remember Amex going from like a hundred to 20. I'm like, all right, this is safe. And then like three days later it was eight. And that's, that's what a weight was like. It was just endless down days. And, um, <sighs> Well, the, here's the other thing: the 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 uh, the duration. Like, we haven't even started yet. No, I mean, I this. Think so. so I'm trying to stay positive. Yeah. But me too. The average bear market is 13.4 months, back to 1926, and we're like six weeks into this. I know. It's like so, uh, the, it's like the Fortnite version of a bear market. It's so I'm, intense. Yeah, I'm, I'm, like we have headphones on and we're just getting fucking drilled by everybody. And it's only been fucking six weeks. So here's here's the other thing. Going back prior to 08, the 2000 to 2002 bear market, what people forget is that there were so many moments where it appeared to be over. Yeah. And so they, uh, Batnick did a great post about this. There were six separate bear market rallies between March of 2000 and October of 02, the bottom. Uh-huh. There were six separate rallies. Um, the smallest one was 7%. Three of them were 20% rallies. Mm-hmm. One was 23%. So there were six times in that sawtooth on the way down that it appeared to be that we had seen the worst. And even with those six separate bear market rallies, you still ended up down 51% in the S&P by the time it ended. And I remember being suckered into every fucking one of them. Yeah. And and what was worse was that if you didn't know better, and I didn't, you bought the same stocks that you were buying in 99. Like you would buy JDS Uniphase down 70 points. Or Sienna. You could, or Sienna or Lucent or Nortel. Because you would be like, this stock is down 70 fucking points. Yeah. How is it not a buy? Yeah. And then it would go down another 30. Yeah. So like I, I, I remember like not – I remember that very specifically. I I don't think people are doing that right now outside of Fang. Mm-hmm. Like if you like if you were if you were um, investing in let's say Marriott or Hilton or mm-hmm. um, MGM or Las Vegas Sands, mm-hmm. I don't think you're just instinctively buying the dips in those stocks right now. I think think people know better. I think people know better. There's way deeper social networks, you know, and experts that you can talk to for free. No one, at least in my group, when we see a Goldman Sachs research, I just, I yell at people for sending me stuff from the banks. Like, I mean, we don't even look at it. Meaning if our network isn't over, overlooked everything, we're, we just snub. I think what's, 
what's different about this one is there's been so many V recoveries already. Amazon, DocuSign, Zoom, uh, re- certain REITs that are just data centers, you know what I mean, that don't have tenants other than Facebook or Google. Um, and the internet being stronger. Yeah. Can I tell you something? Yeah. I actually think that given the nature of this crisis mm-hmm. and this recession, Amazon is a utility. Sure. So we're some. Microsoft, so are a lot Microsoft, of these. Microsoft's cloud is is a is a utility. Sure. Apple. Well, like everything that people are getting done every day is in the iCloud on their iPhone. Yeah. The, like I almost feel like these stocks are not safe. I don't want to say safe havens because they could get cut in half too. But they haven't. But they pay more than I, the Treasury. Meaning you can take the volatility because their yields higher than T T bills. So so. That aspect of it, it's although crazy. Amazon, Amazon's not yielding anything. Okay, not Amazon, but if you buy the NASDAQ well, 100, like the net, yield's higher than Netflix the Netflix is like, yeah, Netflix is almost like a medicine. It's almost like a pharmaceutical. <laughs> I know, stock's back like, at 400. This, yeah. It's a, a fucking 52 week But they've done a phenomenal, okay, I'll give this to Netflix, buddy. Every day I go on now, the UI's getting better, top 10 shows. Uh, I just think... That the we are so lucky this shit didn't. If you threw COVID, we had SARS. If you threw COVID into two thousand eight, we wouldn't even be here. You know, it would just be fucking sticks and stones. It would be just cans. All right, let me see if my can get my string working. See if I can get Josh well, on the phone. So I tweeted, I tweeted, I tweeted the other day that if uh, if this coronavirus pandemic were spreading in the nineteen eighties, mm-hmm. what the hell would we be doing all day? No, stay at home not. in the eighties. Stay at home in the 80s. Mattel, what are you doing? Mattel and television. What's your, when you tweet something, do you know if it's going to be popular and what's it feel like? Because I've had one I, viral tweet uh, and it didn't feel any extra special. Does it, do you care? No, I, well, I don't know. Sometimes I know. No, when you rarely. push send, you just giggle and go, that's a winner. Yeah. And then, and then I'll look at it like 10 minutes later. If it doesn't, if it doesn't have a certain amount of likes, I'll just delete it. Like I don't leave shitty tweets up. Oh, I've never, Oh, got it. So you will actually delete something that's worthless. So if you look at my, yeah, well, yeah, because so my compliance software archives everything, which is a rule. Mm -hmm. So, so that's not an issue. So why do I have to leave it hanging out there if it wasn't funny? Like, you know, and then you can go, you can go viral really easily by saying like political stuff, but, Uh um, there's so little upside in that. Yeah. Like, you know, the people that agree with you, you know, I agree with you. Yeah. Yeah, and then the people that disagree with you, you make an enemy for life. So, like, I, you know, uh, I probably one one Trump tweet a week, and and usually it's comedy. It's not like trying to hurt someone's feelings. I I've uh, I've definitely uh, gotten softer in my in my old. I've been tweeting for eleven years, yep. and uh, there was shit that I would send out five even five years ago that I wouldn't right now because I understand now I, I'm I'm smarter. And the the origin story is you um, you were so oh so when did I meet you oh nine Phil I, and I, I met you in uh, tw- I met you in uh, 2010. 2010. and you were just kind of roaming you were just roaming in baby blue baby blue uh, tracksuits and we pulled you in <laughs> you were just you had one tracksuit. No, dude, I had a closet full of tracks. I'm from Long Island. That's you had a closet full of tracks. Phil says, you're the best. I call you, and I, I was reading your stuff, and so I said, come fucking mingle. So when I met you, I was transitioning from being a retail Series 7 registered broker, which is a dead end, 
toward being an investment advisor, but I didn't really know how to do it. And I met you through the blog and you basically called me up out of the blue. You're like, Phil, Phil Perlman gave me your number. He said, you're the guy we're, we're building this blog network and we're building the stock puts timeline and you gotta, you gotta start using the cash tags and you gotta get in the mix. And it was amazing because it was like a built in family online uh-huh. and it led to me meeting pretty much everyone. And, um, I think what's so interesting about that is I still talk to people that I met through stock twits in 09, 2010, 2011. Like everyone's for the most part, everyone's still around. Yeah. So I look was, at the uh, born on dates and it's like friends that I've been talking to since 07, 08 when they started. Yeah. It's it. why it's, it's wild. It's why it's almost like having it, at this point, it's almost like high school friends. Yeah. Like that's how it's like, that's how long ago that was. And so you come to San Diego, you'd never been to San Diego. You just took a chance. No, never. I just was like, um, I have nothing good going for me in my career. The only thing I have going for me is that people are reading this, this blog that I'm doing. Right. So you were like, listen, but you had a great I'm wife. Having, you, you guys had a good, you guys, you no, had no, a good partner. professionally, yeah. professionally. So you were just like, listen, all the financial bloggers are coming out to Linz and Palooza. We, we uh, take over the Del Coronado. It's awesome. Come out. And I was like, I can't afford to. Um, but then I figured it out. I bought a ticket and I tell people it was like the trip that saved my life because in addition to hanging with you and Eddie Alfenbein Eddie, and just had Phil yeah. and, and all these people, like I met, uh, I met Barry and Barry had the opposite problem that I had. So my problem was I was a good advisor, but nobody wanted my advice. Mm-hmm. Nobody wanted to work with me um, because I wasn't really at a, a good firm and I, 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 wa- I just wasn't established. Barry had the opposite problem. Everybody wanted to be his client and he wasn't a, an advisor. He was a chief strategist. You know, he never worked with, with uh, clients right. one-on-one. So, so that was like a formative trip and it's all thanks to you. And I, I, when I tell people a story, um, you know, it, and then I, like I take a pause and I think about how much has happened since then. It's like, it blows my mind. Blows my mind that, um, that we could be a part you know, it was Phil and I and Justin, um, that Chris Corvo, like that we could be that center to that much talent. We were like a talent network, really. I mean, just like the street.com in 98, 99 was a fucking murderer's row of talent. But I mean, dude, think about, think about what was going on back then and how many, like Brian Shannon was in the mix and still GC is. Yeah, and still is. Uh, yeah. But I'm saying like everyone, everyone kind of formed around this nucleus that you built. And, uh, so, you know, some of these people, some of these people now have their own shows on Bloomberg. Like it's, it's wild where it all started. And, uh, it was a very, you know, it was a small group. It was a small group. And, and, uh, that's all, that's all it took. The, the future of, of, of this. So I, I, I'm super, obviously, you know, I partnered with Charlie Bellello and compounds that so were doing what you and Barry did. You know, we, we also, you know, born in an era of, of email and Slack and Charlie's in New York and I'm here. Uh, I'm just, a, I'm just sending him leads and I'm kind of like the buried, you know, it's kind of very similar relationship. Charlie wanted to build his own firm and, 
you're super bullish on the future of financial advisors, but how is this going to change the business? This, this, have you thought, cause you guys must talk about it and you can share some things about like how to build portfolios. What's going to change with zero well, interest okay, rates in so this that's crash? That's a good point. So I think it's going to separate the firms that have a defensible investment strategy mm-hmm. um, versus the firms that didn't. So in a bull market, nobody notices if anything's wrong. Nobody mm-hmm. asks you know, people don't ask a lot of questions and, uh, you know, markets go up and they bail you out of a lot of, you know, stupid shit. But then like moments like these, like there's like a crystallization where people ask you questions about, wait, why do I own this? Why, why do I have this proportion of, of a, and that proportion of B, um, why, you know, why was there a rebalance or why did this trade take place when people start asking those questions of their advisors, um, they're, they're not, they're not always going to get satisfactory answers that are backed by evidence. And, you know, all of a sudden someone says, wait a minute, that is the stupidest thing I've ever heard. You want to repeat that to me? You really, that's what you're doing. So like, I think what this a moments like these, and we've had them before where people start asking questions. And if you're the advisor, you have to have a defensible reason for why you're allocated and not just firm wide, but for each relationship, like you have to be able to say to somebody, no, listen, this is why we own this and that. And the other thing based on your financial plan, this is the portfolio that we know is going to work long term. It's not going to look great every day, but it's not supposed to. Like if you if you never lost any money, you work with Madoff. And if you never made any money, you work with an idiot. And then in between, there's got to be a rhyme and reason for, for why different asset classes are uncorrelated and why, you know, when do you buy more? When do you sell? What is the decision-making process behind that? Is it rules-based? Is it your own gut instinct? Like you have to have good answers for people or they move their money. And I can tell you that there is a lot of money in motion. Tons. The calls right I'm, the calls, it's not my full-time job, you know, the social leverage is my full-time job. So in sending charity, you know, it's just the amount of calls is crazy. And I always get this right anyways, because I deal with wealthy people that have unique, uh, you know, high positions in one idea or, or get stock in a certain company or have options. Um, so we have a little bit so, more. Unique. So let me let me get into that for a second. Mm-hmm. Ask me. There's, so I think there's like, I think finally for the first time in a long time, there's a really good answer for investors who have a concentrated, very large position in one security, mm-hmm. which is like you know obviously one of the biggest problems in Silicon Valley. You know if 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 you have shares in in uh, let's say you work for this guy at Zoom. Mm-hmm. And Zoom now has like a thirty billion dollar market cap or whatever, yeah. and you have one percent of the company because you were like employee number twelve, mm-hmm. um, or or Apple or Microsoft or Google, and these stocks now comprise twenty percent of your net worth, fifty percent of your net worth. Yeah. Right. So if you're in that situation now, imagine you work with an advisor. Yeah. And the advisor's they all like, do. Someone generally does. Today, I got the call about Snap from an early Snap uh, investor. And so I, I didn't have enough context. You know, he's a good friend of mine. He calls me and goes, what do I do with Snap? I'm like, what do I do with Snap? I'm like, that. how can I help you with that well, question? So, let, so let, me, let, me, let me finish the thought. Mm-hmm. The advisor can't tell you what to do with Snap other right. than from a tax standpoint. Mm-hmm. The, the worst, the scariest thing is 
you have a, a financial planner who's giving you their opinion on snap stock. That's right. that's stupid. Right. But what the advisor can do is say, okay, given that this is a reality for you, the client, what can I do with the rest of your portfolio to mitigate that that enormous risk slash reward that's embedded in your in your life? So, mm-hmm. uh, one of the things that we've been doing during the crisis. So if so let's say you have an ETF portfolio and you own eight, eight ETFs. Mm-hmm. So what you've done, like, so, so it's a client that, that was an early employee at Facebook. Mm-hmm. I'm giving you a hypothetical and 50% of their net worth is Facebook stocks. He said, I have $5 million investable, two and a half million is Facebook stock. I can't recommend the triple Q's to that client. Yeah, All I'm doing another, is giving them more, more Facebook. Facebook yeah. So what we've been doing during this crisis is we've taken advantage of the fact that a lot of the, the, unrealized gains of 2019 are gone mm-hmm. um, and transition the clients where it's appropriate into direct index models. And in a direct index model, I can give you S&P 500 exposure subtracting out Facebook. Yeah. Or even think about an oil and gas client. These stocks go down every day. I can, I can basically say, look, here's what we could do. We could say that you want market exposure but minus energy. So if I just buy you the SPY, I'm giving you Exxon and Chevron. You don't need that. You already have that. You have that risk. It's your biggest risk in the world is the oil patch. You 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 live and work in it. So with a direct indexing portfolio and transitioning into that from ETFs, now that those taxable gains are gone, that's something super productive that advisors can do with their clients right now minimize their exposure to the concentrated risk, mm-hmm. not take a tax, not take a huge tax, uh, um, a taxable event in the process of doing that. So we're trying to do every day intelligent things on a household by household basis until this is over. And what about rates being at zero? I'm having a hard time, you know, it was just Dalio and sixty forty and the efficient portfolios that work forever. Maybe they'll continue to work forever, but I'm, I personally and Charlie and I are grokking and thinking through strategies around a world with 0% interest rates. It just doesn't feel like the risk reward is, is proper in a crisis driven world. Uh, well, so the answer, right. So, so the, the, the conundrum is a 60, 40 made sense for, for a long, long time because it meant never having to say you're sorry because you weren't fully invested in stocks. Mm-hmm. But it meant always having to say you're sorry because in a bull market, bonds trail stocks. Mm. This is now a scenario where you can allocate your clients 40% to uh, treasuries, but they're going to make no money on that. No money. So, right. So, but then you have to ask yourself, well, what is the point of diversification? Is every component in the portfolio supposed to be a moneymaker? Or is there a portion of the portfolio where you say, look, the expected return on a 1% treasury is 1% over 10 years. Yep. That, that, that correlation, a 10-year ten, a ten treasury yield predicts the annual return that you should expect to receive over the next, over the next 10 years. Like right. that, has an R, that, has an, that has an R squared of like 95%. So like that is what the expected return – bond math is bond math. So you say to yourself, well, maybe the point is not to make money – on the treasuries, it's so that the treasuries act as ballast. The next time the stock market falls 30%, that'll give me the ability to sell the treasury at the value I paid for it 
and buy more stocks. So you've yeah. got to, I think, you've got to accept the fact that low rates are going to keep you from making money on the bond side of your portfolio, but that that's okay because the if that's balanced out by the fact that with zero percent interest rates, we should expect stock market multiples to be higher. We should expect companies to easily pay higher dividends than they oh, have in yeah. the past. Massive, we should expect buybacks. So, yeah. so that like that, that, there's always there's always a trade off. And I'm not saying sixty forty works for everyone or fifty fifty. No, but you're thinking about it. The same stuff you and uh, that I think about every day for people that call me is you got to just yeah, educate. He, here's the alternative: you say you say uh, you know what. Bonds, bonds are going to, you know, 10-year treasury bond in my portfolio is a waste of time and earn 1%. I could understand feeling that way last fall when the S&P 500 was going up 30% on the year. But nobody's fucking saying that this year. Yep. Nobody's saying, why do I own bonds? No one. <laughs> no one says, why do I own Jack? So right. uh, I appreciate you taking the time. I think we've covered a lot of ground, mostly uh, non-humorous stuff. But that was the point. This is, uh, and then did you notice, what did you notice about this panic? Because obviously you're one degree separate, meaning your advisors have to hold their clients' hands. And uh, was there, is it because it was so quick and we're so early, we don't know the damage yet? Or how did, how did clients yeah. behave? How so, did clients behave in general? I'd love to be more optimistic, but this is, this is my take on that. From what my advisor, so I have advisors all over the country. Mm-hmm. Um, Portland, Oregon, Grand Rapids, Michigan, New Orleans, like everywhere you could think of. And what they're all telling me their clients are saying is that they are, what it boils down to is they're more worried about their health and their family than they are about their money right now. And this is the first bear market slash recession um, in our lifetimes where there was a primary concern that wasn't how much they lost. Huh. Like people, people are way more worried about their health, which is an, a unique feature to this moment. And especially considering the typical wealth management client is like 60, not, mm-hmm. not 20. Mm-hmm. So, so I think that that added fear, that added dimension is what makes this unique. And I also would tell you that we got slammed with emails from people that were like, how can I buy more? So that instinct that that you know, uh, by the by the dip, by the dip, the V-shaped recovery, like that instinct is still alive and well. Yeah. And it was kind of cool to hear that, like clients being like, you know, I had this money sitting in cash, I want to put it to work. All right, that's cool. But what I'm saying, like what I'm thinking right now is, that's in the first six weeks of this. If we're still trading at the same level we are now in September. Are people still going to be like, how can I put more money in the market? I don't mm-hmm. think so. Yeah. So I, I am, I, I don't want to say pessimistic, but I definitely think that the longer this drags on for, the less inclined people are going to feel to take advantage of the dip. Like people are going to be like, you know what? Fuck this. Well, I think people are going to be more risk averse no matter what, because it was a health thing. It's just going to, it's recency bias. We're always going to remember this for the next 10 till the next crisis. Which is why I just called everyone and said, buy Netflix. 
I mean, I basically changed my mind. I know you're joking, but I bought some for the kids last week at 460 or 360. I bought a bunch, I bought a bunch of shit. And I actually bought Zoom myself and for the kids finally after it went back from 160 to 115. I had owned it going into the crisis and I didn't realize it was a so crisis stock and it doubled. And I was like, this is a joke. And So I was, I was in Zoom and Teladoc in January. Oh not for anything to do with the crisis. I just, uh, I just, I look at my company and how much we get, um, how much we do virtually. Mm-hmm. And I just said to myself, do most people who aren't feeling well really need to schlep to a doctor's office? No. Do most meetings actually have to take place in someone's conference room? Like, so, so I, I've been bullish on like the virtual economy for a while, but, um, one of the things I do when the VIX is over 50 and everyone's freaking out, I put in what I call crash bids. Mm-hmm. I pick like five or six stocks that I feel like I missed and I'd always wanted to own and they just drive me crazy yeah. um, watching them go. And I put in these like super ridiculously low buy limit orders. Yeah, I this was is, doing the this same. Is like in my, yes. This is like in my IRA. Yeah. So I say to myself, you know what? Uh, Berkshire Hathaway is a great example. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I've been in it before. I haven't owned it for a long time. Mm-hmm. I said... I think it was like 220 down from 260. I said, I bet, yeah, I could buy this thing under 200. And I put in one of these crash bids at a ridiculously low price. And then one day I wake up, there's there's an alert from Fidelity. I bought it. Like at a a price that if I told you I was going to be able to buy it six months ago, you'd be like, no way. I did that with Nike. I did that with Starbucks. I did that with um, like a a few names that I just got these absurd – Oh, uh, Uber, like, like in the teens. Yeah. So, 15. Yeah, I didn't so like buy it, the, but I, I, that was one that I just didn't care about, but yeah, I saw it. The different so thing does, about this that one. does a couple things for you. The yeah. first thing it does is it gives you something to root for yeah. as things get worse. Mm-hmm. You're like, Oh, I'm almost there. I'm almost there. And it's weird. It's almost like throwing, throwing a hundred dollar bet on a football game. It makes you watch a little bit more closely. Yeah. Even if you don't really care about the team, you have a bad in on the team. Well, it so, also puts you in the right frame of mind. You're supposed to buy a panic. You're not supposed to sell into it. Meaning yeah, it gets you in the, the right frame by of the mind. Time, right. But the problem for most people is by the time that those stocks get to those crazy prices, they don't want them. Yeah. you won't do it manually. Yeah. yeah. So that's why you enter in the limit, good till cancel. And you just sit there mm-hmm. and your account starts buying you shit. And you're like, wow, look what I just paid for. For Nike, Nike in the sixties. Yeah. What I decided you know what to do so, is start the show March 11th. I said, Knut, let's power up. I got Jim O'Shaughnessy, Fred Wilson. I said, guys, let's, I felt it. So we did panic with friends. And I look back at those days and I'm like that. And we were saying people, now's the time to, I call them stinky bids. The difference of, of this crash for me is I actually am not traveling. So in 08, 09, I was still on the road building my business and building stock to it. So I didn't have time to follow the markets. This time I didn't need stinky bids because I was watching it. So it was kind of surreal for me to see Zillow and I bought a little early at 33 and then I bought it at 28 and it fucking went to 20. So, yeah. so, and I was, I was scared to put another stinky bid in cause I just, you know, it's $40 or something today, but Starbucks at 55, like I was, I was watching my bids. I wasn't having to make stinky bids. So I really kind of was, right. it was really one of the most interesting crashes because usually I'm not around because it's not my core business. But uh, I definitely got the kids some Tesla. I miss Peloton as one that I wanted to, I kind of had an hour there or like under can I 20. Tell you, can I tell you something? Uh-huh. I have like I have like 10 friends that 
have told me in the last couple of weeks that they've ordered Pelotons yeah. and that they can't even get them till May. It's a month, so I didn't order mine. I just kept going biking this weekend. So, um, well, I really what appreciate a, what a sick brand they're building. They're building a sick brand. They've got a couple breaks. COVID's a break. They're they're moved to yep. to to the subscriptions genius, and maybe they become a software company. And the, my thing with Peloton is, I've been talking to a lot of smart VCs is who don't own it yet is that. There's a bid. They have their own stinky bid from an Apple and Netflix. Like if the stock gets really stinky, as long as they're ex- it's the mar- sorry, if the market gets really stinky, Peloton and it's not Peloton's fault. Like this drags on and on, the, and the stock keeps dropping. They themselves have a stinky bid because Netflix, Amazon, Apple could all buy them. Yeah, and so totally so it's, great. It's it's interesting to find company. This is where I, I was telling people about consumer brands. It's if the bear market rages on. Um, the premiums become so good for good investors to sell premium just to take ownership of the stocks later date. That's way better than yields at 0%. So eventually money will come back in just naturally, forgetting the government. And then second is if you buy great consumer brands uh, and it's not their fault that their stocks are going down, meaning the market's taking them down, they have this new put, which is the, the, the fangs and, the, and, the, and these Nikes that have so much cash and capital that they will take people out of their miseries at low prices. Well, that, right. So, well, so that happens, that happens in the wake of, of every recession is that kings will be made. Yeah. And those kings are the type of people that step in with capital when no one else can or will. Mm-hmm. And uh, it happened with, with housing and, and real estate in the last one and it happened with IP and in the dot com meltdown and you know it'll 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 maybe happen with hotel brands this time but you know you're right like that's unfortunately it's it's a required part of the cycle and no matter what the government does or the fed does there are going to be companies that don't make it or yeah, that are time, a shadow sure. of them, their former selves yeah all right. I appreciate your time. Get back to the fam. And uh, my next show will be frothy with friends, <clears throat> maybe sooner than later. But uh, when, when is it? When is, when does this go live? Could be June. Oh, this panic with friends. We'll put it up this week. We'll put it up. this Awesome. Week. All right, buddy. All right. Love you, Howard. Bye. Love you, bud. Talk to you. So, Canute, you know, Josh, we met uh, while he was still wearing tracksuits back in <laughs> He's uh, the media in- legend. 2011, 2010, something yeah. like that. Yeah. I don't watch CNBC, but obviously he's the best thing they got, that in Shark Tank. So uh, I forgot to ask him who his favorite interview was, but I think Howard Marks. Uh, I'll, I'll hit him up next time. All right, we'll be back soon with another Panic with Friends. First, though, Canute, you got a PSA f- to help with uh, COVID and PPP, and, uh, and we'll see everybody soon. It's almost impossible to find protective COVID gear these days, not just for you and I, but also for the big buyers. Even state governments can't get their hands on PPE supplies. Through my best buddy Stein back in Norway, I know of a large Chinese supplier of FDA-approved gear that's ready to supply big quantities. So if you know someone in need of critical PPE supplies, please have them email me at this address, covid.stein at gmail.com. That's C-O-V-I-D dot S-T-E-I-N at gmail.com. And I'll give them all the info they need. Just so you know, Panic With Friends is not making any money from this. This is purely a way for us to help put people in contact with each other. It's social leveraging at its best.